Happy Monday. Welcome to another sneak preview. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Leger. And today we're starting a new format for the show. Uh, we may have mentioned this last week. If we didn't, we certainly talked about it either before or after the recording. So sorry about that. Going forward, we'll be doing more countdowns, rankings, recasts, and fun shit like that. While reviews of current films will sort of be shoved into the middle of the show between last week in film and the new fun stuff. Uh, we hope you like it. It's definitely going to take the load off of us. Uh, we're doing it for our own mental health for the most part. So now we don't feel too too compelled to watch literally everything that comes out within a span of about three days. It's fucking insane. We've gone this far doing that. It's been a little unbearable some weeks. Uh, this way, we just kind of leave it up to like, I want to see this, you want to see that, and we'll say our two cents and then do something fun at the end. Yeah, the yeah. countdowns are more fun for everybody, so this is just what we're going to be doing going forward. Yeah, and like I know more like the 2022 will probably be a little bit easier because there won't be so many delayed films. I know that was like a huge thing with 2021. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, we both got stuff going on in our own lives. Uh, you know, you're going through grad school and having to do that. I'm currently working on getting certified to instruct at my current place of employment, my current station in the Navy. So it's like there's just like a lot on both ends where like sometimes these three-day weekends – when you're releasing like seven, eight fucking movies, I just do not have that kind of time and really care for at least half of the movies anyway to begin with. So it's like, yeah, I, anything to just be like, look, this one I want to watch this week. This is what looks good to me. Everything else there, like, can wait till it hits like Netflix, you know, a streamer somewhere, or I'll just won't watch for a very long time. So I just don't care that much. Yeah. And if you guys have been following the show since January, you know that we've spent movie ticket prices to see so much shit on behalf of this show. And that needs to stop because <laughs> I just, I can't take it anymore. My wallet can't take another snake eyes. I just, I can't do this. So we're going to do, we're going to retool the show, make it the best it can be. And uh, we hope you like it as much as we're pretty sure we're going to like it. So that being said, today we'll be discussing Black Friday in Kento, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City and House of Gucci. Uh, we collectively did not see all of these films. I saw a couple, Caleb saw a couple, and we'll just, you know, rap about it. Uh, Out of everything that was listed, it should be no surprise which ones I saw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, although I did watch Black Friday as well, so we'll be able to talk about that. Oh, sweet. Um, I saw your score. I'm actually very excited to talk about that. So I was like, please like me, please like it. <laughs> I was actually surprised. I, all right, I'll, I'll save it, but I will say this. I was surprised at how aggressively the critics went after that movie. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, yeah. we'll get more on that when we talk about it. Uh, and of course, as we said, you know, countdowns and shit, we'll end with our own personal top five Ridley Scott movies in honor of House of Gucci. Uh, so that'll be really fun. How's that sound? I think uh, they're all saying it sounds great. That's what I'm hearing. Well, I was asking you, but okay. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Without further ado, let's see what happened last week in film. Last week in film. Uh, two trailers to talk about. Not necessarily new ones, but ones that we've overlooked in the past. Uh, I saw both of these trailers when I went to see House of Gucci, and I had never seen them before, so I figured I'll bring them to the show. First. Only two this week? Goddamn. Yeah. It's been light. 
speaking of, I do want to remind everybody, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home tickets do go on sale today, Monday, uh, the 29th. So get them because these are going to go fast. <laughs> I need to talk to Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so first up, trailers. A Journal for Jordan. A new drama from director Denzel Washington about a soldier uh, who is killed in action but leaves behind a journal of life lessons for his newborn son. Based on a book that was a true story, stars Michael B. Jordan and Shantae Adams, comes out on Christmas Day. And this looks emotional as fuck. I mean, just from what I described, this is going to be a tearjerker. I did not see this trailer, so I got nothing for you. Yeah, I know. I, I was just... Like, the trailer itself almost brought me to tears. Just the, the subject matter is so, you know, relatable to a lot of people. And uh, Denzel's really, you know, turning out to be a really good director. And I love Michael B. Jordan. So I, this, I'll probably see this. Uh, probably not on Christmas. I've got other things going on, obviously. But uh, I will try to see this. Next up, The Outfit a crime drama starring Mark Rylance as a tailor who moonlights as a money drop for Chicago gangsters comes out February 25th. Did you see this one? I did see this one. I saw it like a couple of weeks ago when it hit YouTube. Oh, I missed it then, but I, I did see it when we saw house of Gucci. So glad I did see it. Uh, I remember it looked pretty good. Um, but I've noticed as years have gone by crime capers, kind of becoming more hit and miss because there's not a lot you can do with that genre or that subgenre, if you will. So, like, yeah. for every really good one you get, you get the occasional one where it's like, eh. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Chicago gangsters are kind of, you know, like, overdone at this point, you know? I mean, after the Untouchables, what else are you going to do? And uh, I do hope there's, uh, you know, a little something extra in this movie that makes it worth seeing. But uh, we'll find out in February. Uh, so that's all for trailers. This was interesting. Idris Elba is reportedly in talks to join the 007 franchise. Not as Bond, but as Bond's next villain. He's been offered the role, but no word yet on whether or not he's going to take it. Uh, but he has said that, yes, uh, MGM has been uh, talking to him about being the next Bond villain. Which, uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, look, I know he has, I know his reasons for not wanting to be Bond, that's cool. But yeah, I mean, if he's someone you know for Bond himself, I think the Nuspex thing you think was to be like, well, do you want to be our villain? Like, it's a one movie commitment, maybe, maybe a couple more depending on the type of villain they're going for, right? But nothing that like will tie Oba down, because I know he, that's kind of like his thing with like a lot of this stuff, he doesn't want to necessarily be tied down to a franchise whatever yeah. um but I, I mean look I, I love Elba I loved him in the Suicide Squad so um I would I mean I'd love to see him as a villain in James Bond that'd be awesome yeah me too especially since the next movie is going to have uh to really be incredible to convince <laughs> audiences to keep going because you know back in the day you know you could change out your actors every other movie nobody would give a shit but these days Daniel Craig's been Bond for, you know, what, like 15 years? Yeah, it was like 15 or something like that. It was a while. Yeah, yeah. and he's, you know, a beloved uh, face of the franchise. So changing him out is going to be difficult. Uh, but if Elba's there as the villain, that's 
that's a draw. Yeah, that, that's one step in a good direction. I mean, obviously, the biggest component is like who will be James Bond? Because I, I mean, like you said before, Craig, I would say after Connery, you could like change out who was who Bond was, and audiences were relatively fine with it. But Craig, he was, you know, he was with that franchise for so long and became so identified with it because of the generational thing. I mean, you had people that grew up watching the originals, taking their kids to go see this one. A lot of people like myself grew up with Craig's Bond. So it was like, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to be like, oh, someone else has to take this mantle. So, you know, yeah. I mean, that's always the biggest piece, but like definitely getting Elba as your villain, if he agrees to it, I know we're just talking, would be a really awesome step. Yeah. Well, I feel like he wouldn't like mention it to press if he wasn't seriously considering it. Yeah. And I mean... Unfortunately, no one saw Suicide Squad in theater, so I don't know if we'll get a sequel like I would have hoped, so he might have some time on his hands. Ah, it's a damn shame. That was so good. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm saying this as someone that fucking loved the Suicide Squad, and I'm really sad that... Um, and I get it. I understand. I, I understand when it came out. So I think right when the uh, Delta variant was scaring people, so like I get it, but man, it makes me sad. Yeah. Me too. Uh, next up, this is exciting. Uh, there's finally a film about the Beatles in the works, uh, specifically about their longtime manager, Brian Epstein. The film is titled Midas Man. The revealed cast is as follows. Jacob Fortune Lloyd will play Brian Epstein. Jonah Lees will play John Lennon. Blake Richardson will play Paul McCartney. Leo Harvey Elledge will play George Harrison. Campbell Wallace will play Ringo Starr. Now, all these guys are coming off of TV shows for the most part. I don't recognize a single name here, but I am excited to finally get to see a Beatles movie. I've been wanting to see this for years. I mean, look, I mean, I have not been screening for Beatles movies for years, but I am generally like, and I actually like the Beatles. I have a lot of Beatles songs on my phone. But uh, I am generally surprised it's taken this long to get a movie of some sort about them. Like that, that does surprise me. Um, just because, I mean, let's, I mean, they're one of the most iconic bands. They ruled an entire decade. So it's like, why is it taking this long to be in a movie? But, you know, hey, we're getting it. Um, hopefully, you know, when it comes to these biographies, I've learned through time that to trust when they cast these people that you may not necessarily recognize in their roles, because sometimes they surprise you. I mean, I always like refer to Straight Out Compton. We knew nothing about that cast for those yeah. roles, minus Ice Cube's son playing Ice Cube. That was about it. And yet every single one of them did great and have really thriving careers now. Um, so like, you know, it, it, they definitely could be like pretty fucking amazing. We don't know. Um, yeah, you're right. But I also think that doing a movie based around their manager is a smart way to do a Beatles biopic, make it kind of like, you know, the outside looking in and, uh, don't you know it, it doesn't become like this is actually John Lennon's movie or this is actually Paul's movie. It becomes about all of them in the smartest way. So I, I think this is going to be cool. Yeah, exa exactly. Especially when you think about like to me, like the other Beatles, like Ringo Starr, like you don't hear about him a lot. Like it's always Paul McCartney, John Lennon. And it's because, you know, I'm and I get it. They both had very successful in Paul McCartney's case, still very successful solo careers after. But they weren't the only two members of that band. Well, you know. I mean, everyone, you know, George Harrison, just as talented, just as uh, successful as a solo artist, even Ringo, 
I know everyone kind of shits on Ringo, but he did have a, you know, he was also a Beatle and he got his, you know, he had a successful solo career. And uh, if you pay attention, Ringo was an excellent drummer. Like if you yeah. really pay attention to what he was doing back then, very, very excellent drummer. Yeah, people forget, you know, all four of them were the Beatles. Like you needed all four of them for this to work. They're the Fab Four. They're the most, you know, maybe the most iconic music group of all time. And I would love to hear their story or, you know, see their story. Also, I am a, you know, huge Beatles fan who's also a fan of music biopics. And this is one I've always wanted to see. Yeah. No, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm definitely like, like I said, I'm very shocked to know that we haven't gotten something yet. And I'm glad that we are finally getting something. Yeah. And like I said, I do like the Beatles myself. But you, you know me, man. I, I really want my I really want to start seeing those biopics on bands like Slipknot and Corn. I know they're coming one day, but I want those. It'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, it'll just, you know, right. I think we're working our way up. You know, now we're in the 70s. So it'll be a few years, but we're it'll happen. Look, if I'm like in my 50s, I'll take it. Like I'll be that old man there's like, I remember when that came out. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh I want my Nirvana biopic that's completely untainted by Courtney Love, but that will never happen. Right. Oh, they got, well, it could happen. I mean, Dave Grohl, to his credit, has been very aggressive with her about like, stay the fuck away from anything. Yeah, but she owns the music and you can't have a Nirvana oh. biopic without the music. That's and if they're going to do it right, she's not going to come off favorably. No. Is that why we haven't gotten a biopic? Because that's another man I'm surprised we haven't gotten one yet. Yeah, I bet that's 100% why. <sighs> She's just, uh, she's just mad. Her daughter, like, as far as I'm concerned, their Dave Grohl hates her, and fucking their daughter doesn't even talk to her, like, yeah, because she is the worst. I, yeah, it kind of tells me everything I need to know about Courtney Love. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Speaking of, uh, I don't have a segue. I just fucking hate Courtney Love. Uh, we have Never three unfortunate. Okay. <laughs> we got three unfortunate deaths to discuss. Wanted to do this in the middle. Because uh, I'm ending with some pretty cool news. Uh, longtime character actor Art LaFleur has died at 78 from Parkinson's disease. LaFleur played Babe Ruth in The Sandlot, was also in Field of Dreams, Cobra, The Blob, and the Santa Claus franchise as the Tooth Fairy. And I always liked Art LaFleur, and this really, <laughs> this was sad to hear. He was Babe Ruth in The Sandlot? Yeah. God, I fucking love The Sandlot. <laughs> Me too. It's one of my all-time favorites. And yeah. God. Yeah. But you know what they say? Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. Uh, the Sultan yeah. of Swine. The King of Crash. <laughs> the Great Bambino. Uh, that movie Who's always baby? takes me back. Who's Baby Ruth? You're killing me, Smalls. You you play ball like your gore. Oh, God. A, it's a classic. It's one of the best movies ever. Uh, oh, God. That movie makes me so happy. Yeah. I did not know he was Babe Ruth. That's the one. That's a really good part of the movie, too. Like, yeah. It's awesome. Uh, another bit part he had that I always liked was in Angel. Um, he played. It was one episode where Angel went to go talk to some like mystical healer, Swami dude. And Art LaFleur was the bounty hunter who just murdered the Swami and is pretending to be the Swami. And it was just, it was really cool. And yeah, he was always a character actor I appreciated. And this was, this was a bummer to hear. So rest in peace, Art LaFleur. 
Oh, uh, two more deaths. Next up, SNL cast member Peter Aykroyd, younger brother of Dan Aykroyd, has passed at 66 years old from a hernia-related infection. Uh, he, yeah, he joined SNL in the show's fifth season as a cast member and writer. He appeared in such films as Dragnet, Spies Like Us, Coneheads, and Nothing But Trouble, which he co-wrote with his brother. And uh, that's just a bummer to hear. Peter Aykroyd, of course, never quite uh, lived up to his brother's fame, but still, you know, funny in his own right. He played the, I think he played like the king of planet Conehead in Coneheads. Or somebody, one of the higher ups. And have you ever seen Nothing But Trouble? I have not. That is one of the weirdest, most fucked up comedies I've ever seen in my life. It is such a hard film to describe. Uh, basically, Chevy Chase and Demi Moore break down in this weird-ass town run by this psychotic judge played by Dan Aykroyd. And they end up, like, arrested with no cause and try to escape this weird-ass town. And it's like Dan Aykroyd's running this place. John Candy is his weird, like, sheriff, maybe son, I think. And then these weird, like, baby, like, giant man-baby things that are, like, chasing Chevy Chase the whole time. It's a fucking weird movie. Horrible movie. Perfect for our, our other show. And Which we will be announcing very, yes. very, 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 very soon. Yes. But this is just, like, like I said, hard to explain. You got to really just watch it and understand, like, what the fuck? Nothing but trouble, 1991. All right. Uh, yeah. I know I didn't sell it, but. Uh, <laughs> Not one bit. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, this, uh, Peter. Uh, what was it? Was it Tom Green? That weird comedy with the Daddy's Got Sausages, Daddy's Got Sausages, that song he does. You know what I'm I talking no, about? I have no clue what you're talking about. Bring up the next thing. I'm going to look it up. There's another comedy that's like really weird and out there that's like a cult favorite now. And If I it's Tom it. Green, is it Freddie Got Fingered? Freddie Got Fingered. Oh, my God. There we go. Ugh. Okay. They kind of like that where you're just wondering the whole time, like you're laughing, but you're just like, what is happening? There's a certain, like, you know, bad horror movies have their audience, bad dramas kind of get ignored, but bad comedies, like, take on a life of their own in a weird way. Like, it almost becomes like a dare, you know, like, have you sat through this horrible piece of shit? <laughs> you sat through Freddy Gatfringer, let me tell you. <laughs> I have not, but I have a feeling I'm going to be next year. Well, you will too, because I haven't sat through it, and I want to sit through it. <laughs> uh, well, I know we didn't give you the, the most glowing... Uh, Oh, obituary, but rest in peace, Peter Aykroyd. Yeah, so I do uh, <laughs> Finally, uh, this was a shock. Iconic Broadway and Oscar-winning composer Stephen Sondheim has passed at 91 from Natural Causes. He won an Oscar uh, for Best Original Song for 1990's Dick Tracy in the song Sooner or Later, I Always Get My Man. Some of his most well-known Broadway compositions include West Side Story, a little night music into the woods and Sweeney Todd. Uh, and so strange, he would die like less than a week after tick, tick boom comes out in which he left an actual voice message in the movie, like as himself. So that ended up being like the last thing he did, which is crazy. Uh, a conspiracy is afoot. He was 91. No, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Sweeney Todd is definitely my favorite of his. Hmm? Illuminati confirmed. Oh, God. Well, they're not trying that hard. I mean, they made it look like natural causes. 
you think if they were going to send a message, they would try a little harder than that. <laughs> Not at all. That's exactly what I, the amount of effort I expect. Ugh. Well, uh, his, uh, they are remaking West Side Story. comes out uh, next, next month. month. Uh, but yeah, Sweeney Todd was my favorite of his. Uh, that's such a great movie, such a great, uh, such great songs, <laughs> great music. And uh, yeah, just a bummer to see a legend pass like this. Yeah, um, I I read that on IGNs I when I saw it. I read it on there. Um, and yeah, I was like, wow, damn, dude. And I read his credits. I'm like, holy fuck, this guy, like, the name sounded from I was like, Stephen Sondheim, that sounds so familiar. And then when I read the credits, I was like, oh my God. So this guy has been some of the most, like, well-known, just everyone loves the type of musicals that have ever been put out to the film, to Broadway, on both fronts. So, yeah, like, RIP to, like, a fucking legend. Yep. Goodbye, Stephen Sondheim. Thanks for the music. Uh, RIP to R3 that passed away this week. Yes. Rest in peace. Art LaFleur, Peter Aykroyd, and Stephen Sondheim. I hope you guys are at peace. Thanks for the work. I'd like to end this segment by discussing some remarks that character actor Stellan Skarsgård made when he was recently asked about his recent or about the recent criticism of superhero movies by directors like Martin Scorsese, Denny Villeneuve, and Ridley Scott. So Skarsgård, who kind of walks in both worlds, indie films and superhero movies, was asked about this. And his response is worth talking about. Okay. Am I going to wait? Let me let me get a preface. Am I about to be really angry or like happy? You're gonna be very happy. Okay, because I yeah. I love Ridley Scott, but I ha- I did not agree with his statements on that and why he thinks the the last duel flopped. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So of course, so he was asked, Selen Skarsgård, what is your take on the criticism of superhero movies by directors such as Scorsese and Ridley Scott? And he of course said, "Fuck you! How dare you speak to me? Get out of my face!" No, he didn't say that. He said, "Quote: I've got nothing against superhero movies." I've been in a couple, and they definitely have a place. The problem is that the system that allows eight people to own half of the wealth in the world enhances the power of the market forces. So small and independent cinemas rarely exist anymore outside a few big cities. There's no distribution channels for all the mid-budget films that have the best actors, the best writing, because they can't throw up $3 million for a marketing campaign. When cinemas let them in, they do so for one week, and if it doesn't pay off in a week, they're gone. Remember that The Godfather first opened in 100 cinemas in the United States, Big films now open in 4,000. They had small ads in the New York Times, but it grew and grew because it was such a good film. The people's opinion has no chance anymore, and that is sad. I think that we should have Marvel films and more roller coaster films. We should have other films too, and that's the sad thing. When raw market forces come in, studios start being run by companies that don't care if they're dealing in films or toothpaste so long as they get their 10% return. When AT&T took to overtime Warner, it immediately told HBO to become lighter and more commercial. They were always making money, but not enough for an investor. Well, fucking said Stellan Skarsgård. I knew you were a stand-up guy. Yeah, no, that's probably the best response I've heard because he's absolute. There's nothing about that statement I disagree with. Nothing at all. Because he's right. Like the issues never been like the superhero films themselves, which is what pisses me off with these directors that are talking like this. It's that the studio we live in a world now more than ever. I would say, especially because, like he said, when these non-movie companies are buying movie companies and streamers are buying fucking movie companies, that if it doesn't make a buck in its first weekend, he said week, I want to say weekend, it's gone. Like, they don't give a shit, it's gone. 
And there's no more chance for a film to, you know, you hear about like kind of opening back to my room horror scream. Had you gone by that logic, would have fucking flopped. You would not be looking forward to a fifth fucking movie next year because it didn't do good its first weekend. But because they kept playing it and people liked it, who did go see it that first weekend, they told people. And then their second weekend, they made more money on the movie. And it just kept growing into this phenomenon. Now we're at right now because they're so focused on if it doesn't make it that weekend, because this is what an MCU movie makes in one weekend. They turn it away and I'm with them. I, I would love to live in a world where there's an MCU film coming out. We also got like, you know, things like the last or more indie cinema, if you will, coming out to have that flavor. I think it's absolutely important to have that flavor. I know or joking aside about what I like and uh, with these directors, but yeah, I think it's absolutely important to have that flavor. I think we are in a dangerous territory as much as I love these superhero films and looking forward to future movies coming out. They, you know, they have set a dangerous precedent in Hollywood now. Yeah. Success is a different animal these days. And if a movie isn't making, you know, 2 billion worldwide, it's a failure in some studios eyes. And that's just not realistic. You can't, you know, have like take a movie like, you know, The Last Duel, since that's what pretty much keeps coming up lately. That is a movie that's going to have a niche audience. It's a movie about, you know, a French knight and a rape trial that happened in like the 1400s. No, not everyone's going to line up to see that. So there's a, you know, you got to accept that not every movie is going to be Avengers Endgame. And studios these days, because of Marvel's constant success, are thinking that. And it's, we're getting dangerously close to a theater monopoly on blockbusters. And that is just not the right way to go. And because of this, it's pissing off indie filmmakers and they're blaming the wrong, the wrong thing here. Uh, yeah. It just all comes down to, you know, people in power, just fucking up everything. And I love that Skarsgård was so, you know, open about that. So there's so many, you know, celebrities just give like blanket answers and half-assed answers, but he was like, he thought this through. He gave you a legit reason. And I, I respect the hell out of it. Yeah, no, he, he, he didn't, like I said, he didn't do what like these directors are doing and saying, well, it's these fucking superhero movies. They can go fucking fuck themselves. And how dare the audience? Like, that's not the answer. Like, that's not the response. Cause then you're just shitting on directors that are working hard on these movies and audiences that do love these movies. And how are you supposed to get your, your own audience when you're shitting on us? That's the wrong answer. But to sit there and answer it the way he did and say, like, look, these films do have a place because they're film. They're art. They yep. have a place. They're reaching people. But what is dangerous, like he said, is what the studios are looking at the wrong thing and it's creating a very dangerous precedent with indie films or films that just aren't franchises going forward. And that's the problem. Not the superhero films. They have a place. It's what the president is being set by studios looking at the wrong thing that is dangerous. I think another thing that's happening because of you know the greater problem is movies that should just be standalone greats are being forced into sequelization and getting every last ounce of interest sucked out of it. I mean, look at the Kingsman franchise, for instance. That is a great standalone movie that did not need a sequel and certainly doesn't need a prequel. Yeah, uh, here we are. Yeah, here we are. I mean, I'm gonna see it, but I don't need to, you know, I don't we don't need it. <laughs> no, I and it's funny because we just we to me, like before we even had this problem, the biggest problem we had was ratings. Like 
we had it seemed like studios indie filmmakers had to fight tooth and arrow to get a film rated r because they're like if it's not pg-13 people won't go fucking see it and it took films like deadpool to prove like no you can make your film fucking rated r just make a good movie it's like i don't understand and again kind of across those comments like what what is with these studios it's like they're so fucking select they have like selective sight like they just are blind to things that are obvious and then the things that aren't they're like no that's what we're paying attention, paying attention to it's just it, it's so infuriating yeah it's ridiculous but i am glad that you know hopefully Scarsguard's response you know inspires some other people to take you know their own stances and say something favorable about all this because it's mostly been just negative shit pointed at superhero movies this is a nice ray of sunshine. So I thought, yeah. you know, since we've been talking about that over the past few months with random filmmakers, you know, saying their piece, felt this was worth including just, you know, for positivity's sake. Yeah. And, and yeah. It's very nice. I mean, what is it when they were saying the thing Scott Derrickson kept pulling up the tweet about like, stop shitting on other filmmakers. That's not what we're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. And then, if you're Neil Blomkamp, you just tweet, what a fucking asshole, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, I like to look at our team as kind of, you know, what it, what the film world should be. You know, you got your horror people, you've got your drama people, you've got your criterion people, you've got your, you know, biopic people, and we all live together in harmony. Isn't it nice? What yeah, it should so- be. <laughs> At the end of the day, we just love film, right? Like, yes. Regardless of what type of film, like what type of genre and subgenre, like we all love film. Yeah. So it's like, you know, I know obviously people are not like horror as hardcore as me. Like I get that and I understand that. Yeah. As long as you like film, I can still have a conversation. You know, like, like I, right now, like I'm looking at, you know, the way your your setup is is you're right in front of your DVD shelf or your Blu-ray shelf, and I see action movies i see crime movies i see superhero movies i see kids movies i see a lot of horror and i don't see a lot of dramas but that's okay because that's a varied palette that's what every movie shelf on earth should look like a little bit of everything it's a sorbet you know yeah and the reason there's a lot of horror is because like again like you said that's why i love so that's why i tend to get but i love getting other stuff like i recently picked up the goonies on 4k because i was like oh shit goonies on 4k it was like 10 bucks like oh fuck yeah i'm taking this (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we just got to be reminded that this is a a medium that allows us to view an endless plethora of stories. And regardless of genre, we should just be happy we get to see these things. Yeah, yeah, to these filmmakers and, you know, I'm trying to calm down with like, so I do like a lot of Scorsesburg and like really Scott recently is a little more fresh because his comments were more recent. And it's like you said, it's like this is coming from a guy that's admittedly a very hit or miss director to begin with. So for him to kind of sit there and be like, I find superhero films boring. That's fine, Ridley. I found about half your films boring, but don't worry. There's ones I like, but there's a good chunk I found boring. But, you know, I don't go on a fucking interview about it or then turn around and say like, well, no one watched Last Duel because of this generation, which it's like the oldest fucking argument to make. And to me, like, really shows your age and how out of touch you are when you're like, well, this generation is why my movie flops. Damn kids and their cell phones and their video games and their 
Twitter and their Tinder and their meh. Yeah, it makes you sound like an old fart. It was completely out of touch with society. Yeah, <laughs> never like, blame oh. cell phones. It's the flat, it's the worst thing you can do to be taken seriously. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> dude, Ridley, I like you, bud. And I'm about to really praise you on some films here, but you just came off like an old fucking like out of touch human being with that comment. That, no one saw your movie because admittedly, like you said, it's a movie that's a, a hard sell. It's a hard sell. It's and a very guess, hard sell. And let's look at what came out that weekend, too. It came out in the month. For those who don't know, it was October 15th, Halloween Kills. I kind of wonder what people went to go see instead. Well, we could watch Michael Myers tear through Haddonfield for, what, the 12th time? 12th, 13th. I'd have to redo yeah. the math real quick. Or we could watch a rape drama that's two and a half hours long. I'm going to go see Halloween first. I did go see The Last Duel, but it took a while. <laughs> yeah, it, I fell asleep twice. <laughs> but it was a good movie, though. Didn't make the top five, yeah. but it was a good movie. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, it's like, maybe look at when your film released, Ridley. Maybe you should have pushed it back to November. I know, well, Hills of Gucci was coming in November. You can move some things around. Or just, you know, have both. Have your cake and eat it too, Ridley. God knows that's what you want. Yeah. Apparently. And how can he say that when he's getting ready to fucking go back to the alien world? Like, okay, Ridley. Okay. I think Ridley is just a little pissed that everyone didn't quite, you know, enjoy Alien Covenant. So now he's like, you know, he's got one film in his entire career that spawned a franchise i don't count blade runner alien alien was the one that went somewhere and i think he's been trying to recapture that high ever since i mean i love you know gladiator the martian like i'm not saying he's never made another great film but he's never made anything quite that big ever again no i mean i don't know there's a lot of great films about talking about but yeah and it is fine when you made that phone call and i'm like aren't you doing the alien show which let's really start breaking this down that's currently owned by the company known as Disney, who's making a lot of money off Disney Plus, which you can watch their content on your cell phone, Ridley. But also, your alien show, presumably because Disney owns at least 60% of it, is going to go to Hulu, which people can watch on their wait for it. Cell phone! So why the fuck are you bitching about cell phones, Ridley? Because that's all your fucking alien show is about to get watched for the 8 <laughs> to 10 hours you have planned. Oh, really? Such a complicated. <laughs> you have a touch, son of a bitch. God damn it. God damn it. I would love if he gave that interview like through Zoom. Like, I don't know, but I would love if that's the case. I feel like this is why I couldn't be like an interviewer for these people. I don't know if it's like the Navy did this to me, but I just be like, Sam, like, think about what you just said. Like, what just came out of your stupid fucking mouth? I would fucking love it if you were a celebrity interviewer refusing to kiss their asses. That would be wonderful. <laughs> they would not expect that at all. Ugh. I would love to have like Nolan come on to talk about his zone. Be like, the, he's like all happy. You know, he'd be like, yeah. So I got this. I'd be like, yeah. Are you a fucking asshole? What, dude? Like, you would like, a- after like the first year of you doing that and people like refusing to go on your show, you'd have to hire like proxies to like act like the interviewer until the like the cameras rolled and then they just like, <laughs> just like pop out from behind a curtain and take a seat <laughs> and now now they're on this show <laughs> so, so i heard a hundred millions what you call low budget 
Okay. How's it feel to have every studio in Hollywood sucking your dick, Chris? <laughs> you like knowing that you're the you got a studio that you're the only film they're releasing for a six week span because you like to suck your own dick for that long? Is that it, Chris? <laughs> Just calling him Chris alone is is the best. Yeah. It's you know that irks him. Oh yeah, he at one point probably like, can you please call him Chris for Nolan? No, that's fine, Chris. You don't deserve this title. <laughs> well, I made good movies. Dunkirk can kiss my ass. All right, Chris. <laughs> and I, I want this to happen so bad. <laughs> I didn't even watch Tenet, so go fuck yourself. Oh my go god! Back to the question. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I've, feel like we're never going to do an episode without somehow finding a way to shit on Christopher Nolan. <laughs> You've already on himself with his insane demands and he, throwing a temper tantrum as an adult. When you throw an adult temper tantrum, I lose so much respect for you. <laughs> as well you should. $100 million or I walk. Like, okay, Chris. You can't release any of your other films you have planned Three weeks before or three weeks after mine, I want total blackout. Pandemic, death in the family, wasn't you, buy a ticket. Like, yeah, fuck them. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, so that's what happened last week in film. So let's talk about last week's releases. Uh, Real quick, I will say yeah. that made me happy with the new format because now I don't have to go watch that fucking movie in the <laughs> I'm yeah. so happy. I will have I have some stuff to say on that, but uh, yeah, I get it. It's it's easier, and I didn't have to go out of my way to find Resident Evil, so well, everybody wins. Down, but okay, uh, let's start with Black Friday. So, Black Friday, uh, limited theater release was released on VOD on Black Friday. Cheeky, uh, six dollars to rent, worth it. This movie was hilarious. Yeah, I I remember uh, you know, me and Josh had Thanksgiving at our place, and towards the end of the day when we had to like clean up, I'm like, hey man, don't watch Black Friday. He's like, Oh my god, yeah. Because like we kind of forgot, so we like ran and watched it. We both loved it. Um, I thought it was awesome. Um, I know before we kind of get into talking about Bruce Campbell, because obviously he's like the big troll here. Love seeing Devin Sauer. I know you're not as familiar. Uh, with Sala, but like just a quick back, like this is a guy that like um, I don't know if you know Josh told me this, so Josh, when you listen to this, you all the credit, bud. Um, he got you know, when he got the role in Idle Hands, one of his first roles at like the age of like eighteen or something. He auditioned, but he had watched Evil Dead Two and went in doing that scene when Bruce is throwing him, his himself around. And that's how he auditioned. He, he he just started. He said he just went in there. You know, he was eighteen. He was fearless. And he just went in there. He said he's, he's like completely wrecked the office, and left thinking I fucked that up. And they called him and said you're in the movie. And they rewrote the entire film to fit what he did. Oh my God. And it's now like a beloved cult classic. I've seen it. It's an awesome fucking movie. And you know. Through that, he, you know, he got the first Final Destination movie and became kind of like this big, like, like he became like a horror favorite. Like a lot of people in horror don't really like him. And, you know, he's always come off as a generally nice human being. 
um, and an upstanding guy. And he actually, he took a break. He, uh, he talked about, it. he stepped out of Hollywood. said he was like, I need to step back. Kind of felt himself getting too big for his britches type of thing. And he just took, kind of worked on himself, took a little bit of break and he's come back recently. Um, and he's been luckily, you know, horror being the drama that is has welcomed back with open arms. He's been in a bunch of stuff horror-wise. He has a lot more horror stuff coming out. He was um, just some stuff like Chucky. He's been on the Chucky show. Obviously, Black Friday, he's talking about no one he's doing that's coming up. And so I, I wanted to point out the Evil Dead thing that Josh brought because, you know, imagine your idol, because you mentioned that Bruce Campbell was his idol. That's how he auditioned, and he finally gets to do a movie with Bruce Campbell. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, I I liked him I a lot movie, so he was really good. I so in the past, I've only seen of Devin Sawa's work, Final Destination, and I didn't care for the first Final Destination, but that was like eight years ago. It's overdue for a second watch, and the reason I don't care for Devin Sawa or I didn't care is so fucking petty. I almost don't want to say it because nope. you're gonna give me shit forever. I mean, I'm going to be shit no matter what. So just go ahead and say it. The poster for the first Final Destination. I don't like the way his face is. He looks like a pouty boy band member, and it bothers me. I'm so sorry. He was like 20 years old. It bothers me. It it already gave the movie a bad taste in my mouth before I started watching it. I was like, this looks stupid just from his dumbass face. So I apologize. Devin Sawa, you were really good in Black Friday. And I will try to take that out of my head and give Final Destination a, a real chance. My please, mistake. please take that out of your head. Give Final Destination a rewatch and check out Idle Hands. I do think you'll like Idle Hands. It has Seth Green in it. I saw a clip of Idle Hands when I was a kid. I was surfing channels. And it was when he was like, there was a guy who was decapitated and he was trying to eat a burrito. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His, uh, his two friends get killed in the movie, but they stay around as, like, uh, ghosts or zombies. It's been a while since I've seen it. And so they stay around to mess with them about his hand. They just keep giving him shit about how his hand killed them. <laughs> yeah, I got I to gotta check that out. Yeah, it's it's a good one. And like I said, like he, from what I understand, he's a really good – he's a generally good dude. So, like, having him have this comeback and seeing him do stuff again has me excited. And like I said, I thought he was awesome. And, you know – as you can tell, even now, I think he's in his 40s. He's very much willing to throw himself into, like, practical stuff. Like, he is just fearless with doing that. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely. He was he was good in this. Um, I did <laughs> – I love that they made Bruce Campbell a fucking pussy. Like, they made him just, like, the worst, you know, bubbly manager ever. And even in the end, he never got to have his, like, you know, turn badass moment because it just wouldn't make sense for the character. No, and I, I think that was smart because he did this. You know, he's doing this not too long after, like, you know, even though it's been a while since he's announced his retirement from Ash, everyone just keeps associating that with him. So the fact that he decided to kind of, like, play something that I think for a lot of people seem like, oh, you're just playing Ash in this movie, then you watch it, and he's playing really against that, like completely against that, I think was incredibly smart on his part. Yeah, it worked. And I do love his big moment where he gets to, like, finally – bitch about the customers <laughs> i love this movie's like i it's not that much about like zombies it's entirely more about how much it sucks to work retail 
which yeah. I love. This is about how much it sucks to be a part of the service industry and that the shit you constantly have to take. And yeah. anybody who's worked in the service industry is going to find something delightful about the, like, about how you get like secondary satisfaction from this movie, from watching them get to fight back. And it's just, yeah. that was the best thing about this movie for me. Cause I've worked in, I've worked in a movie theater. I worked in a call center and it fucking sucks. <laughs> so yeah, it, it was just, it was very satisfying. Oh yeah. And timely with the whole like labor shortage and a whole lot of older generation people, you know, doing that blanket scene of like, I guess people don't want to work without realizing like, no, people are fed up. Yeah. And like the service industry needs to change. So like, it's also conveniently timely, but what's going on nowadays with this movie? Yeah, it was, it was great. The, the way they handle, you know, fucking Karens and just over entitled shoppers the way it's great and also the assholes who like take pride in in you know being like stepping on the other people who work there like the manager and the sales like the, fl- the floor guy who just like loved torturing the other employees and they get theirs too it it's it's so real this movie like you almost don't need the alien zombies for this thing to work i would have loved it if it was just like the shot the employees fucking snap and start murdering customers <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, I would have loved that movie, but still, I like the zombies. No, yeah, it, they do a really good job making sure like the zombies are just a centerpiece of this whole thing. Yeah. And yeah, the idea of like it's really about like dealing with the the retail service in general. Like, just it's a perfect like satire, or whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know the exact term. I don't want to fuck that up, but it's a good look at it. And um, and I mean, yeah, I know we mentioned Camel and Sawa, but I've got. You also got fucking Michael motherfucking Jay White in this movie who also commands your goddamn attention because let's just be honest, that's a badass motherfucker. Yeah. I I was hoping for more of him, though. That's the thing. I was, I was really hoping he was going to like show up at the end, like kind of fucked up and be like, I'm not, you know, you can't take me. I was hoping for that. Yeah, but- I know. I was, I was really sad. But I was like, oh, man. But it's just, it's a, he's always like an awesome presence to see. Yeah. I totally believe I bought him as like, just like, you know, the guy who's worked in the warehouse for like 30 years and is so just way past fed up. (laughs) I bought that. (laughs) I love that the whole plan of the zombies was to create like a mega Karen. And the one, like the the black dude who was like, I can, I can, I can talk to her. I understand. I can speak her language. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like the cross. I love when Devin Sawa shows up at the end and the other guy's like, did you see what happened? And he's like, like a paper football. (laughs) They were so shocked by that. (laughs) I thought like that was such a great twist though that that fucker bit uh, Devin Sawa just to get him out of the way. Like I've never seen that done in a zombie movie before, but that was a great misdirection. Oh yeah. I love seeing Sawa like running around hiding in the fucking roller skates. (laughs) <laughs> I, one of my favorite i don't know why this made me laugh so hard it was right when the the infection starts happening and they think the, the one kid i don't remember his name the kid whose dad's making him pay rent <laughs> like snaps and like they they lock him up and then the new guy starts being a zombie and someone hits him with the cake and bruce campbell goes hey corporate sent us that <laughs> 
I I had to pause because that that got me for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) No, this one's it's filled with so many like throwaway lines that just get you for no reason. Shut the fuck up, Juicy. (laughs) That was a that was a good one. Oh, that one that one killed me. Especially because before he's like, "Why am I last?" Oh, because you're slow and. If we're being honest, they're hungry and you offer a lot for them. <laughs> God, yeah. Uh, and it was also kind of heartbreaking when, you know, I don't remember any characters' names in this. I apologize. But when Devin Sawa is just like trying to, you know, when he realizes that the whole sales team sees him as a joke and like the girl he thinks he's dating is like just like with him for like a laugh because he's old enough to be your dad. And he has this moment of like, I have a, like my life has no meaning. What have I done with like who I am? And he like has that moment of clarity. That was sad. Yeah. Again, man, it's, it's good to have fucking Sawa back. As someone who's been a fan, it's good to have that man back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie was like Slither, Dawn of the Dead and Office Space combined into one crazy ass movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was I was impressed. I enjoyed this. I, I I was surprised the ending was so abrupt, but yeah, but I was I was okay with that. Yeah, I fit the movie. I'm surprised at the reviews. I know you mentioned it earlier, but like critics are like, I think this is one of those cases the biggest disconnect because some of the reviews for me I read were like, yeah, this is not worth your time. I was like, I don't know what movie they're watching, but this was awesome. Yeah, on um. On IMDb, this is currently sitting at like last time I checked, like a four point one. Like, what out of ten? And that's just not—that's not the case, man. This this was way better than that. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't listen to reviews. Like this movie was worth it. Will make you you'll laugh. Yeah, you will. Especially if you're you know, you're a Bruce Campbell fan. It's nice to always see him in anything. And in this film, for him to play against type like this, well done. Yeah, like, you know, like, he's not the badass. He's the manager who never did anything else in his life for 30 years because the only thing he knows is how to berate salespeople and kiss customers' asses. That's all he knows how to do. Yeah. I was like, look, you got Bruce Campbell, you got Sawa, and you got fucking Michael J. Wright. Like, what more do you need to go see this movie? Yeah. Black Friday, 8 out of 10 for me. Yeah, eight out of ten as well for me. Really fun movie. Yeah, I already like this new format. Like, I like it already. It's so much less constrictive. Yeah. Uh, Next up, Encanto, which uh, I got to see uh, yesterday, or I guess this comes out Monday, a couple days ago. Disney's 60th animated classic as they uh, revealed beforehand, which is impressive. Snow White to Encanto, not counting Pixar and live action stuff, 60 films. That's cool. Damn, I didn't know that. Um, there was a short film that played beforehand about a, uh, a raccoon and its baby score, like, uh, on the beach looking for food, and baby keeps trying to venture out and you know, explore, and mama keeps putting him in its place. And aggressively, Mama, like, slaps the kid and is like, you know, angrily, like, you stay here, but in raccoon speak. And the kid gets very scared and sad. Flash forward, like, 10 years, baby raccoon's all grown up, and he has a kid of his own. And 
that kid starts exploring and doing what he was doing. And this time, you know, adult baby raccoon grabs the kid, starts yelling at the kid. The kid gets all scared. And then he has a moment of like, I, you know, what have I become? I've become my, my mother. And then he like hugs the kid and is like, you know, I'm sorry. It was a very touching <laughs> short film about like breaking the cycle and, you know, trying to be a better parent than your parents might've been if you had, you know, abusive parents. Uh, anyway, that was touching. So right from the get go, I was like, Oh shit, the movie hasn't even started yet. And I'm crying. <laughs> uh, well, this is a very vibrant, colorful, uh, enjoyable film. Lin-Manuel Miranda does all the music. It celebrates uh, Colombian culture in a very cool way. And it's about this family, the Madrigal family who are all born or are all uh, given special powers at a certain point in their lives because of this magic candle their grandma was given. And uh, one day, Mirabel, uh, on the day she's supposed to get her powers, doesn't. And she's the only member of her family without powers. And they all kind of look down on her for it, which is just great. What a great family. And she realizes the magic is dying and like they're all on the verge of losing their powers and the house is going to explode. And no one believes her. So she tries to prove this along with the help of her like disgraced psychic uncle Bruno. And uh, I won't spoil it, but it does, you know, have your typical Disney ending of like, everybody's fine. But the message is, you know, acceptance and love and most importantly, self-acceptance that, you know, you may not be magical, but everybody's special to somebody. And just, a you know, eight out of 10, very delightful movie, uh, cool musical, probably is going to win best animated movie next year at the Oscars. Uh, and that would be fine. Yeah, I'll, I'll get to it. Um, usually with Disney Plus, oh, Disney stuff, I wait till it's Disney Plus, so I just watch it at home. Just because yeah. I know, I like we kind of talked about, I'm out of that age range to be going to the theater alone, see these movies. So I just wait for it to hit Disney Plus. And I know it's going to be fine at the box office anyway. I didn't go alone. I took my little cousin, Scarlett. We had a good time. Okay. No, that's fine. But I'm just saying, like, I don't have that option currently. I'm not going to be an official uncle until next year anyway. And that, even that, it's going to take some time for that kid to get old, old enough. Um, but, uh, I, well, it's Disney. I want to check it out. I actually finally watched Freya and the Last Dragon uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. On Disney Plus. Um, and I really liked it. Um, I need to kind of rewatch some parts because I was tired when they when the kids wanted to watch it, so I was knocked out. But what I saw was really good. So it's uh, I usually end up liking a lot of these Disney animation films. I've said it before. I think the one thing they excel in almost consistently, they have the they they have their downs, but mostly consistently is their animation department. And Encanto yeah. is definitely like once it's Disney Plus, it's something I definitely want to check out. I've got mixed feelings about Disney. I despise them as a company and their, you know, rampant human rights violations, but I fucking love what they produce. <laughs> Probably the best way to put that. Yeah. I mean, just there's no other way to, you know, I can't dance around it. You know, a lot of what we talk about on all of our podcasts is probably owned by Disney. It's just the way of the world. <laughs> so, you know, accept it. Uh, but yeah, definitely a good one. Um, pretty non-traditional in that there isn't really a villain. It's more just a movie about like the journey, which is, which is nice. And, you know, it's a nice look into Colombian culture, which is cool. I like that lately Disney's been exploring various cultures and uh, providing a lot of representation. 
Which yeah. is good. It only, it only took like 60 years. Right. And then it's funny in their animation department, they don't beat you over the head with it. You know what I mean? It's not like the first gay couple and the next in like the 10th Marvel movie. And you're like, all right, Disney. Got it. That's so weird that they understood. It just why is it always got to be like the first gay character for the seventh time in a row? Why, why do they keep doing this? I don't know. And I'm just there going, got it. Okay. Cool. Still watching your movie. Cool. Yeah. So I think that was like one thing I like really liked about Antonio so much was that like they didn't fucking hammer. They were like, yeah, he's gay. Okay, cool. Yeah, sweet. Okay. All right. Yeah. Awesome. It is weird that like every time Disney throws themselves a fucking parade when they're just like, you see how inclusive we are? Aren't we such heroes? Yeah. Like, Oh. so weird but then they don't do it for their animation department they're just like yeah it's a, a movie with representation what do you want for us i'm like why can't you have that attitude with all your other shit god damn it uh yeah don't break an arm jerking yourself off disney um <laughs> next up resident evil welcome to raccoon city why don't you tell us a little bit about this oh i will first of all I'll say that i do highly recommend i really think this will be a movie you like i know you're basing it a lot off the original six films understandable I didn't, I didn't see those either i highly recommend you check this one out don't <laughs> worry about the other six films that's fine but uh no but in all seriousness like you know um fans myself included and I'm, th- look i'm a fan that would like actually doesn't mind the first three original movies um but obviously they don't follow the games. They do what we really hate when they adapt video games a certain way, which is they just kind of cherry pick names, cherry pick moments, things that we want to see in it. And they just kind of go, Oh, and put in that movie. Cool. We did it. That gets fucking annoying. Right. With this movie. And I, me and Josh both saw it and we were so both impressed with the fact that like you have a director here who was a massive fan of the games. Like he's talked about how much he loves the video games and that, his favorite one is Resident Evil 2 Remake. That's what he's been playing the most. And he actually made the comment. He's like, I haven't played Village yet. And they're like, why haven't you played Village if you love these games so much? He's like, because I'm trying to get a PS5. It's like, I don't want to play it on my PS4. <laughs> he's like, I want to play it on my 5, but I have to get a 5 first. <laughs> so he's like, he's, he's a fan. He's a legit fan. And he, he made a movie that at first kind of scared me because he was taking the plot line from the first game and the second game and making it into one movie. And at first that scared me. I'm like, ooh. But how he did it worked incredibly well. And the movie he made, to me, rectified everything we just sat through six movies for because it was a movie made by a video game fan for the video game fans. Like, it felt like, okay, finally a movie that speaks to me as a fan of this series. The amount of callbacks he had. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard it before, but the Joel Sandwich comment from the first game. <coughs> All right, there's the, the original games I know from some really cheesy dialogue. And there's one where the guy's like, you don't want to be a chill sandwich or some shit like that. It's become infamous, right, in the in the community. They, he finds a way to put that line into the movie where she, like, Joe Valentine grabs his sandwich and goes, haha, chill sandwich. And eats it. I remember me and Josh going, oh, she said it. Like, the way he just put in things like that and made this feel so much like a Resident Evil movie 
was like just stellar. The cast was awesome. There was a whole, there was one sequence that both me and Josh could not stop talking about where they're in the mansion. Uh, Chris Redfield, played by Stephen Amell's cousin, Robbie Amell. Um, you can't see, it's pitch black. The only thing you see as he's is being surrounded by zombies is his gunshots. That's it. So it, it's a fucking beautiful, like two, three minute long sequence of him running around. You, see, you hear the gunshot, you see the flash, you see a couple of zombies, you, and you at one point you're like, oh shit, I don't hear any more gun flashes. Then you hear a new one, like he had to pick a different gun, he ran out of ammo. And that's it. Like that's all it is. And it's a fucking tense, stellar scene. It is this movie is scary. It actually like goes back to horror, you know, what Resident Evil is known for. Horror, not over the top fucking action, you know, like I know five and six did that, but horror, like fucking getting under your skin the way he just brings a lot of these characters to life that we know and love is awesome i know some fans had nitpicks with some characters because he changed how they are in the movie for the game personally i was down with it i i felt like it added a, something to make the movie different and the reasons usually behind it worked for the movie so i was cool with it so like i really like this honestly this movie could be a whole episode to me, like I really fucking loved, walked out loving this movie, and uh, man, it's like a high eight, close to a nine. Like this was what we should have gone the first time. Absolutely. Well, that's great. I'm glad you uh, you enjoyed it. Uh, you just you said something that I want to address. You said that this this movie could have been its uh, its own episode, and going forward, pretty much the movies we're going to talk about here, the way we're going to do it is. Some of them will end up on the Filmgasm podcast. Some of them will end up on Oscar Sunday. But you'll get a taste here because it's called the fucking sneak preview. Like, how have we not made that connection? You get a little taste here. And then if it's worthy, it ends up on one of the other two shows or the new one if it's really, really bad. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that means I'm definitely going to be having you watch this movie. Yeah. Raccoon City will get up. will end up on the Filmgasm podcast at some point, And then when that happens, I'll gladly watch it. Yeah, I, I, I really, I do really think you're like this. I mean, there is a fear that because you haven't played the games, it might not appeal. Because like I said, it's very much like, almost like them going like, hey, we heard, we, after six movies, we heard you. Okay, we get it. You want to, you want the video game. That's what you want. So here you go. But there's just enough in here for it being like an actual horror film. And like I said, like some really kick-ass sequences. I talked about what Chris Redfield scene with the darkness and the gun flashes was a very well executed scene. I do think this you might this might be something you end up liking, maybe. Well, maybe I liked extra, so I guess anything's possible at this point, huh? Yeah, anything was on the table. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, that takes us to the final movie of the day, House of Gucci. Uh, the reason we're doing a top five Ridley Scott afterwards. Uh, I knew nothing about this story going in. It is one of the most insane cases of gold diggery I've ever seen. Uh, it's a two and a half hour drama that uh, the actual Gucci murder is the last 10 minutes of the movie, which was kind of a bummer. But the performances in this film are so over the top that you're just entertained the entire time um so 
Gucci is a name pretty synonymous with, you know, class and gorgeous clothes and whatever the hell. And uh, the family Gucci owned that brand until about the 90s when it was bought out by an by a uh, I think a Iranian or I don't remember, but it was an it was a Middle Eastern family who now own Gucci. There, no, no member of the Gucci family has anything to do with Gucci anymore. And it's because of the events that have transpired in this film. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's pretty fucked. Um, so Lady Gaga plays uh, Patrizia, this uh, lady who stumbles into a club in the 70s, runs into Maurizio Gucci, Adam Driver, who, according to the film, was a you know, law school student, wanted nothing to do with his family's empire. But she saw the name Gucci and was like, oh, I'm making that money. And so she seduced him. She married him and then used his name to pretty much alienate him from his family and take this entire empire over for herself. It was bonkers. And the way she did it was so fucking conniving. Uh, and uh, after and this is all history, so it's not like I'm spoiling the movie, but um. Basically, she hired a, uh, after Maurizio caught wise to this and was like, I want nothing to do with this lady. She's turned me against my family. She divor- uh, he divorces her. She gets super pissed, hires a hitman to assassinate him. And he does. She's immediately found out, served 30 years in prison for uh, murder. But uh, that's pretty much the movie. The, uh, it's the, you know, the conniving back and forth between her and the various members of the Gucci family. Al Pacino is fantastic as uh, Aldo Gucci, the one half of the brothers who own the company, the other one being uh, Jeremy Irons, uh, whose name escapes me, Gucci. And Pacino gets to have this, uh, he gets to be crazy 90s, you know, heat Pacino again, which was cool. Uh, There's a moment in the movie where uh, his son is uh, Jared Leto, who I hope wins Best Supporting Actor next year because fuck was he hilarious just over the top fucking mario italian accent <laughs> covered in prosthetics just saying the most outlandish shit like his own metaphors that were so funny <laughs> but um he sold he sells off his stock to cover his own bills and pacino finds this out and has this like no like heat moment until he grabs jared leto and hugs him and i had this like you know you broke my heart fredo kind of connection to it. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> it's Godfather Pacino. I haven't seen him in 30 years. <laughs> so it was cool. There's a lot of cool moments. Gaga is probably going to win best actress. She was unrecognizable. Uh, and it's a very sexy, sleek drama about like the definitive name and fashion for the later part of the 20th century. And I give it an eight. It's not for everybody. It is two and a half hours long. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. I hope it gets some Oscar attention. A lot of people are calling it Oscar bait and boring. And yeah, some people are going to find it boring, but I did not. I enjoyed it. Glad you liked it. Also See? glad that Ray Scott apparently couldn't make movies under two and a half hours long this year. He really couldn't. Like both of them, and both of them don't fucking need to be. There's so much that could have been trimmed from both films that you just do not need to be this long. He's I, overindulging himself. I've learned like with these older directors, especially ones that are like, I just couldn't find anything to cut. I'm like, so there's going to be a lot of unnecessary shit, isn't there? 
I hate when that's your excuse. Like it was flawless. I can't cut this. This is my art. This is my masterpiece. Like, no, bro, you could probably cut an hour, maybe. Yeah, probably an hour. Oh, so House of Gucci currently playing in theaters, uh, getting kind of mixed reviews, but for the performances and the crazy ass story, I enjoyed it. Salma Hayek plays a TV psychic that Patrizia befriended and convinced her to help her commit a murder. <laughs> so that alone should inspire you to want to check this out. All right. I'm just going to wait for Ridley Scott to blame the millennials for it doesn't do too hot at the box office. Yeah, probably. I mean, it came out the same weekend as a fucking Disney movie. So, I mean, stop it, Ridley. Pick your dates better. <laughs> Look at when other films are releasing, Ridley. You can't beat Michael and you can't beat Disney. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. For- yeah, you're, play- you're fighting a losing battle that you're, you know, doing to yourself. Uh, so speaking of Ridley, let's dig into what we believe to be his five definitive films, respectively. Now, uh, we've done a few of these countdowns on this show. Uh, Going to do, be doing a lot more. Uh, we narrowed it down to five because really we both couldn't find 10 that we really loved. <laughs> I couldn't find 10 I really loved and then I realized something. I hadn't actually even watched 10 of his fucking films because after like the five I picked, I'm like, well, I didn't really like Alien Covenant that much. Prometheus was all right. Robin Hood was okay. Yep. Uh, okay, yeah. Like, and then I think I texted her, I was like, can we do five? Can we just please do top five? <laughs> Ridley Scott, for I think, may be the king of, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, all, most of his movies are like, yeah, all right. It wasn't terrible, but I don't know if I'll watch it again. <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, so before we did this, I wanted to do this. I was like, I'm going to do this right. Like, Ridley Scott, I'm going to watch all of his movies. And I wrote down a list of all the films of his that I hadn't seen yet. And I realized, apart from Black Hawk Down, which I watched for uh, Oscar Sunday yesterday, I've seen everything that is critically acclaimed from this guy. Everything on my list was the shit films, critically. And I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to shove like nine bad movies into Thanksgiving week? Do I really want to do this to myself? So I watched The Duelists, and I didn't like that. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I was about to say, I think it takes like The Counselor sucks. Don't sit through that movie. Yeah, uh, I'm sure at some point I'll watch Kingdom of Heaven. Um, I've heard kind of, you know, critics didn't like it, but fans did with that movie. But again, it's two and a half hours long. Uh, Body of Lies, I might do the same, but I'm in really no hurry at this point. Like, I'm ridleyed out. I'm good for a while. I'll, be, I'll see if I can get back into an alien show comes out. <laughs> uh, so here we have top five. Uh, five favorites of ours by Ridley Scott. And uh, just to preface it, I know that if, if you've been listening to our shows for a long time, you will know that Blade Runner is nowhere near my top five. So it won't be coming out of my mouth today. <laughs> just let that be known. I can't speak for Caleb, but I don't fucking like Blade Runner. There it is. <laughs> so why don't you start us out with your number five? You gave me a great segue, buddy. Let's just knock this one out now. <laughs> No way. Number five. <laughs> <Blade Runner. laughs> 
Oh, fuck yeah. I love these unplanned moments. All right, go ahead. Tell us about Blade Runner. I will. Um, so, like, okay, look, I will say this. I understand. I know I joke a lot with you about I understand why people don't like this movie. It's not your typical sci-fi type of film. It's very heavy, for lack of a better word. Very brooding, very much, like, deep thought. Like, you have to be ready like mentally prepared to watch Blade Runner. Like it's not just like, let me just throw this on. It really isn't. Like you have to be like, okay, I'm out of watch Blade Runner and prep. Um, I have an edition of the film on Blu-ray that has like the five different cuts of the movie. I've watched all five cuts. And even after a while, for someone like me who really likes it, I think after like cut four, I was like, oh man, I need to get this over with. It was starting to hurt. Um, but like look, overall, like I really really dig this movie i like the sci-fi world it's in i like um harrison ford's character a lot and look i i know some people are bitch about the fucking voiceover or no voiceover i think either one fucking works that's just me um and rutger howard i mean god damn talk about fucking performance in this movie especially his speech at the end to me is one of the best fucking movie speeches um and this was to me the film I mean, this was, I believe, his de- debut, uh, really, Scott. I be- well, I think he did The Duelist first. It was The Duelist, then Alien, then Blade Runner. Okay. This was, like, this and Alien really kind of showed off, like, his style to me. Like, and it, this really solidified, like, his type of sci-fi that he likes to do. Um, yeah. And in this case, I liked it a lot. Uh, like, and just to say, I do it talks about, I think the biggest thing for me I liked a lot about, too, was his themes of, like, what does it mean to be human? I think that's what this film really wants to tackle more than anything. It's like, what does it truly mean to be human? And what does it mean to be a machine? And I think this film goes about a really cool way of delving into that question without really giving you an answer because is there an answer? You know, like, is there truly an answer to that question? So it's, this is a movie that's like, I've really enjoyed since the beginning. I know you hate it. Um, but it's my number five, mainly because the other four films I can just sit down and watch, whereas I can't really do that with Blade Runner. As much as even I love it, I got to be ready. Yeah, you're right. Um, so I don't give a damn about the, the voiceover. I've never cared about, you know, is he human? Is he a replicant? To me, this film is just fucking boring. It's dull. I've had to watch it for like on three separate occasions. And each time I'm like, fuck. But the definitive time we did it on the podcast last year. And I told, I think I said on that episode, like, this is it. I'm never watching Blade Runner again. <laughs> and Like I've given this film so many chances and I can't get through it without nodding off. And I just, I'll give you, I, I will give you Rucker Hauer. He is, he is fantastic in this, but it's just, it's so off-putting to people who just aren't into like super deep sci-fi and i like more of a surface actiony sci-fi i know that makes me sound like you know i'm not some big deep thinker but you know what i never fucking claim to be a deep thinker let me shut my brain off and watch you know space shit i don't know <laughs> but, um, yeah i i'm not a fan of blade runner but i knew it was going to be on your on your list so i knew it was going to come up today so there it is. So you, know how, you know how much I love it. I just think it's awesome that you were bitching about it right before. I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. 
Yeah, that worked out really well. <laughs> but it's my number five, so we can stop talking about it now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number five is going to be divisive because a lot of people hate this movie. A lot of people condemn this movie for reasonable reasons. Uh, but I have always had a soft spot for it. 2001's Hannibal. Uh, Both any on fives, I see, but go on. <laughs> let's get this out of the way. Julianne Moore is not Jodie Foster. I know that. I've I've seen both of them in separate films. I know they don't. I know they're not the same person. That is literally the only thing wrong with this movie, in my opinion. If you just trade them out, this movie is a perfect sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. And we have this glaring redheaded problem in this movie. So I've seen Hannibal many times. If I can, if you can get past that, you've got a, another fantastic performance from Anthony Hopkins. You've got a great performance from Giancarlo Giannini. You've got Gary Oldman as a fantastic, vengeful, psycho, pedophile ex-victim. And a great story of a cat and mouse between Hannibal and Clarice that just works. And I've never really gotten the rampant hate for this movie, apart from just, you know, Julianne Moore is not Jodie Foster. Uh, and, you know, the climax of Hannibal making Ray Liotta eat his own brain. Are you fucking kidding me? How grisly is that? Um, yeah, Hannibal is a fun movie for me. I, I you know, I do a rewatch all the time. I do a trilogy rewatch of Lambs, Hannibal, and Red Dragon. It's fun. All three of those movies are fun for me. And I will defend this movie all the time. You know, it's not perfect, but it's not a bad movie. I will say I don't hate it like a lot of people do, but I'm not in your camp. I find a good chunk of this film to be quite boring. Actually, myself. Um, and I, I'm honestly, like, me personally, I found it weird that people get so pissy that it's not Jodie Foster because I'm like, I'm not saying anything bad against Jodie Foster, but they literally trade out for what I who I think is a better actress. So... <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a different debate. I disagree, but whatever. I mean, really, you don't think Julianne Moore is a better actress? Than- I, I really like Jodie Foster. I've always thought she was a fantastic actress. Julianne Moore not, is good, but I feel like she she phones it in a lot. I'm not saying Jodie Foster is a bad actress, but I mean, actually, she's a very good actress. I just prefer Julianne Moore myself. Fair um, enough. I prefer Jodie Foster. Fair enough, but uh. And besides that, like, I just never, like, this film never really connected with me as much as, like, Silence did. And even Red Dragon did, because I actually thought Red Dragon was, like, pretty cool. Um, but I will give you that end. I, that end scene with Ray Liotta, like, that, you can hate this film as much as you want, but that scene is so fucked up and so awesome to watch. <laughs> oh, Yeah. It's uh, I do think it's funny that I, I think Red Dragon's better too. Hannibal's definitely the weakest of the three. Red Dragon, I think it's cool that well, not cool, but kind of weird that Ridley Scott couldn't do a better Hannibal Lecter movie than the fucking Rush Hour guy, <laughs> which is bonkers to me. Uh, but yeah, Hannibal's an acquired taste. When I first saw it, I thought this was garbage. I'm like, this isn't, you know, this is ridiculous. They should have just never made it if Jodie Foster wasn't on board. And yeah, it is kind of boring, but the more I watched it. The more I, I liked it. I liked, you know, the beginning of, you know, with Clarice having to choose between, you know, shooting the woman w- with the baby 
or dying and then like dealing with the repercussions of that decision and the FBI being against her. You know, it builds on themes established from Lambs that the FBI does not like that a woman is trying to be, you know, an agent trying to be on par with them. So they're waiting for any opportunity to cut her out. And this is that it's it feels like a natural sequel to me. And I know that's not the majority rule on Hannibal, but whatever, you know, I like what I like. And talk about some fives for us. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't like Blade Runner. And I like Hannibal. So there it is. I find Hannibal okay, but I like Blade Runner. Fine. What is your, uh, what's your number four? My number four is one I think we'll both agree on here. Uh, Matt Damon star, more recent one, The Martian. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really surprised how much I liked this movie. At first, I was like, "Oh, okay, it looks pretty good." And then, like you know, the reviews coming, I was like, "Okay." I finally just like on a whim rinsed it off in Netflix, and I fell in love. I was not expecting a movie that's like was both simultaneously like just so funny at times, but then so serious and had me on the edge of my seat of like, "Oh, is he going to get out of this?" And oh, how how are they going to get him? Like. And again, and this, I'm just going to want to say it now because it's going to be a blanket statement for all of his movies. Really, Scott knows how to get a fucking performance out of his actors. Like, because goddamn, like, Jeff Daniels, Matt Damon, like, all the people involved in this movie are just fucking good. It, this, this is a movie that, like, I need to watch it more. I think I've only seen it once, but I instantly fell in love with it the moment I saw it. And I was like, this is a good goddamn Ridley Scott movie. I'm with you on that. The Martian. It's a really cool movie, a really creative movie. It didn't quite make my top five, but it's like number six. I do really like this movie. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, it is really funny. And uh, I love that, you know, throughout the movie, Matt Damon's using humor as a way to mask this incredibly frightening situation he's found himself in. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, the only man left on Mars. And I love that, you know, the team was considering like, is it worth it? Should we, you know, should we spend the money to go get him? I, ah. But yeah, this is a really cool movie. And yeah, you're right. He does. Uh, he is really good at building an ensemble and getting great performances uh, because he is one of those directors that people want to work with. He is a, you know, a revered filmmaker because of the hits he's had. Uh, because, you know, his hits are cemented in pop culture as like definitive movies. When he scores, he fucking scores. Oh, yeah. You know, for every, like, okay film he does, like, he swings big when he fucking hits it. Yeah. And The Martian was a win for him. Uh, I remember at the Golden Globes that year, The Martian was, uh, it won the Globe for Best Musical or Comedy. And Ridley Scott got up there to accept it. And he's like, comedy? Eh. And then did his speech. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's stupid. No, but um, yeah, I, I remember yeah, good that. Pick. Weird. <laughs> good pick. Uh, my number four is a film I know is going to be further up on your list, most likely. Uh, it's my most recent Ridley Scott watch, 2001's Black Hawk Down. Uh, what a film. This was uh, Oscar Sunday yesterday if you check that out episode 78 and it is a wild intense movie from beginning to end with a massively fantastic ensemble 
and some of the most realistic uh, battle sequences I've ever seen in a war film. Uh, taught me a lot about the, uh, the Battle of Mogadishu, America's involvement in, some, in Somalia in the 90s. Uh, and a film that I, I said in um, our Oscar Sunday that it condemns the war but celebrates the soldiers. And uh, that's just a fantastic effort on Ridley Scott's part. It's a great movie. You have more to say, say it now because it's actually uh, my, my next one. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, man. Okay. Then, yeah. Uh, my number three for Ridley Scott is actually Black Hawk Down. Um, this is a film of his that's always like, it always hit me when I saw it. I, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good war movie. I really am. Don't know why. I just, I'm a sucker for a good war movie. And um, this was a good war movie. I think, like you said, he did a great job of not really glorifying war because, as we know, like, you know, at the end of the day, war is hell, as they say, right? It's it's not a glamorous thing. Real people die when this happens. It's just an ugly part of the human life that we have to live that we have to go to war to preserve certain things that we enjoy so much. And, you know, really, Scott does such a great job of not glorifying that part, but paying tribute to those who do fight it, to the actual soldiers who lay down the ultimate sacrifice for our country. So we can preserve the freedoms that we have. Um, he, you know, that that's the part that I really attach to with this. Um, this film has definitely t- taken on a whole new meaning now that I, I, that I am in the military myself. I'm in the Navy because um, there is that, you know, no, I'm not doing like what they're doing in this movie. But, you know, I've been in those periods where we're talking about, you know, anything can happen when you're out to sea and your jobs to make sure that the man next to you, the woman next to you, makes it back home alive and that's your job that's all you care about there's a lot of stuff you guys mentioned that really hit me when i was on serial's episode because yeah you know you mentioned it with one of the characters and you think like he's a psychopath but really it's he's doing everything he can to make sure his people go home you know that's how it is you know we're trained in the military that that in the day we have those safes that we're trained on and that what we need to do when you know the shit goes down to make sure that everyone makes it home so when it doesn't happen it hits you and it's just like this is to me a very powerful film and really scott just fucking aced it this film really means a lot to me that's great man i yeah i definitely you know knowing uh you and josh were in the military this you know war movies now that you know i've got friends and family in active duty so it's war movies have taken on a whole new uh, meaning for me really like you know I have a whole new appreciation for it and uh, this was a, a wild movie that opened my eyes to a lot of things and uh, I'm very grateful Austin picked it for Oscar Sunday and uh, I'm glad that you have such resonance with it yeah it yeah it, it's you know I don't I don't like when people disrespect military members and movies and a movie like this it's things right because these guys they were doing a mission. This, the, they were told what the mission was, but because someone higher up fucked up hard, a lot of people died that day. That shouldn't have died. A lot of people did not get to go home to their moms, did not get to go home to their girlfriends, their wives, see their children again. And, you know, you can't, there's nothing you can do to fix that. And again, really Scott did a great job of, like we said, he did not glorify the war, but he did pay tribute to those fallen soldiers, and that's what truly matters in films like this. Yeah, very true. Uh, 
Very true. And on a side note, I do want to mention this. This is the only film I've seen thus far where Tom Sizemore wasn't super gross. So that was a good positive thing for me as well. That's good. Actually, I need to. Yeah, he usually. I need to rewatch it because you guys mentioned Tom Hardy, and I was like, he's in this fucking movie. Yeah, he's uh, Twombly, I believe his name is. It's one of his first roles, and he's really good. Yeah, I didn't fucking know know that. Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, there's so many people in this who weren't famous yet. You know, Orlando Bloom is in it. Uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, Josh Hartnett, right before he burned a bunch of bridges. Like yeah. it's it's cool to see. You know, it's a great cast. Jason Isaacs as like a you know Southern captain. I mean, come on, I, I didn't believe it was him for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys mention the scene when like he was like, no, you need to listen to like when he's taking command. And that, that was again, I was saying, I was like, yeah, because that's usually how it is. Like at the end of the day, like humans are humans, right? You know, as much as you're trained. People going crack, and you know it takes that one senior guy that has that experience that knows a lot about how military rank and stuff works. Be like, hey, calm down, because we have to get out of this. Yeah, you got to have somebody to keep their cool, or else everyone's going to snap, and then it's just fucking mayhem. Especially in a situation this intense, with you know that looks bleak. You got to keep your cool, and that's not always possible. Yeah, because I. I think in, in I, I forgot to mention when you mentioned like the whole target because a lot of people forget, you know, and especially those who are like like to be like disrespectful to the troops, that a lot of the times, you know, these guys are just doing missions. Like they may not agree with what we're doing over there, but this is their job, it's what they're told to do. And a lot of those guys are going there knowing they're going to a town that doesn't want them there, that doesn't like them. They're fully fucking aware of it. So when something like this happens, it's terrifying. So you have an entire town out to kill you. Yeah. Because we're an American in this case. Yeah. Well, also, you know, we brought up the idea that it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of know where you stand as a civilian on issues where, you know, should America get involved in this? Like, yes, we want to help people, but also this is a culture that might resent us and our insert, you know, our involvement could make things worse, could create a whole new monster. Like we saw with ISIS, like it's just, it's tough. And I would never presume to understand what it's like to have to make those decisions or, you know, live like that. So I, I try not to, but uh, yeah, this is a very powerful movie that if you've ever wondered what it's like to be in a, in a war zone, I feel like this is the closest you're going to get. It's, it's definitely, I would put up there films like to me, like Will and Survivor. And like, if you want a really realistic take on what it's like, like I would, I would do a double feature of this and Will Survivor. Absolutely. That's great. That's a great double feature. Yeah. Double the Eric Bana action for sure. Oh, yeah. He's not in Lone Star as much, but he makes his time worth it. Yeah. I, I mentioned also like just Eric Bana and his career trajectory, how it got so fucked by Hulk. And yeah, he, was, he was doing great. And then Hulk, like he, he really fucked up there. <sighs> what a shame. Like, where would he be today if that movie had never happened? Yeah. I mean, he he didn't know. He he probably was like, "Oh, a Marvel movie." It's not his fault at all. It's not yeah. even Ang Lee's fault. It, I don't know whose fault it is, but somebody dropped the ball. Someone <laughs> dropped <it> hard. <laughs> Might be a little bit Ang Lee's fault, uh, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, Black Hawk Down, awesome. I knew that we were going to be going in depth on that one. Um, my number three is considerably less serious, uh, but still a fun watch and way funnier than I expected it to be. Um, 
2003's Matchstick Men. Uh, I've not seen this movie, so this is all you. Nicholas Cage and Sam Rockwell are professional con artists who screw people over. And uh, it's beautiful. Um, and then one day this little girl shows up claiming to be Nicholas Cage's daughter from a previous relationship. And she wants, she knows all about who he is and she wants to learn the ropes of, of conning. And he's like, okay, I guess we're doing this. Also, he is uh, mentally ill and running low on medication. And uh, there's a great scene that you may have seen in like Nicolas Cage freak out compilations where he goes to a pharmacy to get his prescription refilled and he cuts the line. And this guy's like, hey, pal, have you ever heard of a line? And he goes, hey, have you ever been dragged out, out into the sidewalk and beaten till you pissed blood? And like, oh, yeah. This guy? Yeah. It's that's what that's from. <laughs> but this is a, a crazy movie, a great, you know, heist movie that has like that, you know, typical double cross, double, triple cross ending. That's uh, just a fun watch. So Matchstick Men, check that out. Uh, I, I need to. I mean, how's Nicholas Cage? You got me already. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. All right. My number two is to me probably my favorite historical epic that I have seen so many fucking times now. And that is really Scott's Gladiator. I fucking adore this movie so much. Um, I saw it when I was younger. I think, oh yeah, I got it from my, my aunt. had like a DVD copy she didn't want. I think she got like, she got a new DVD. She got a new DVD copy or something. And I got the old one. And I watched it and I was like, oh, this movie's awesome. <laughs> yeah, everything about it. I mean, uh, Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix are lights out on this. Obviously, we all know a lot of Russell Crowe's line with the, are you not entertained? No, that was what, yeah, are you not entertained? And Joaquin Phoenix has all his famous lines like, am I not merciful? <laughs> you know all that. <laughs> Very familiar with that and the creepy incest love he has for his sister. But this is such like, it's just like, it's a kick-ass movie. It's, you get into the story, you feel the story, you're, you're on board the whole time. And yeah, it has probably one of my, to me, like the best endings, like as far as like it fits, like I know a lot of people are like, mm, he dies and like, no, it, it works because of what they tell you beforehand. But also if you have the chance to watch this movie and you have the option, I actually do highly recommend you watch the longer two hour, 50 minute cut. It is worth it. Gladiator is in no way historically accurate. It takes so many liberties with Roman history. But oh, I'll yeah, be- I there's, there's nothing about it accurate at all, which is weird because Black Hawk Down is pretty accurate. And then he's like, Gladiator, nah, I'm trying. Well, like I said, like it's it's a complete lie, but I'll be goddamn if it's not entertaining. Gladiator is my number two as well. Oh, goddamn. Okay. Yeah. This movie's a fucking ride. I love Gladiator. <laughs> How do you not? It's so epic. It's the it's like a perfect revenge movie. Just, you know, betrayal and Rising, you know, from being like it's a you know, from the ashes, a new a warrior rises. It's so satisfying. And then, God, Joaquin Phoenix is such a slime ball, just from you know, murdering his father to taking over Rome to trying to s- sleep with his sister to stabbing Maximus in the, like under the armpit. Or to- is he ahead of the curve on incest porn? I that okay, that's an angle you could take. Just saying. 
<laughs> I seeing him get stabbed at the end of the movie is so fucking satisfying. Just knowing that, you know, he tried everything he could to make this work out in his favor and he Maximus still fucks him up. And then the whole stadium not giving a shit and like, you know, cradling Maximus away while Commodus is just rotting over there. Great. Dude, I think I think my favorite moment between him, Marking Fans Russell Crowe, is when he keeps, you know, he keeps calling him gladiator and the, and he's like, he won. He's like, I want to go meet him. And he's like, take off your helmet, gladiator. And you won't do it. And so he finally does it. And the look on Joaquin Phoenix's fucking face when he sees it's like, this guy's supposed to be dead. <laughs> and that, that whole line that he says to him, Maximus Aurelius, like, yeah. Maximus <laughs> Decimus Meridius, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son, and I will have my revenge or something like that. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> it hits you. It's like, oh, God. And you're like, fucking get him. I think it, what I really think is amazing is how they were able to you like still use Oliver Reed despite his passing midway through production. They were still able to make his role substantial and, you know, make the film work. I mean, that's that takes a lot of... Uh, lot of effort and a lot of uh talent as a filmmaker to work around that and this was you know in 2000 when they were you know you couldn't exactly cgi a new actor you had to you had to get uh creative with it yeah and like you said it works because oliver reeds i mean first of all i mean he's a legendary actor at that time yeah and like his his part is so good like i, I actually i really like his character in that movie because at first he comes off like just this everyday slave trader, but you kind of, as the movie goes, you get more of his backstory and where he's coming from. Now he, you know, he goes on about how like he once went through this, yeah, and worked his way out of it. And it's like, damn, like you kind of realize like these guys, they're you know, it's a fucked up system, and the only way out is to literally kill everyone but beneath you. Yeah, um, this took Best Picture in two thousand. Uh, well-deserved. Russell Crowe won Best Actor. Uh, Ridley Scott did not win Best Director. He lost to Steven Soderbergh for Traffic. I haven't seen that movie, so I can't judge that, but I really think this was Scott's Oscar. Like, the direction of Gladiator is flawless. Uh, yeah, what a, what a movie. Yeah, it, oh, this movie is fucking awesome. And I think I know exactly what both of our number one is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you should have known it as soon as you said top five for me. There's one movie that will forever be associated with the name Ridley Scott, and that is Alien, my friend. Prometheus. I'm kidding. (laughs) I would shut this shit down right now. Prometheus. Oh, my God. Uh, I had to do it. We got Alien. Alien. It's, It's his masterpiece. It's, you know, the film that created a franchise, the film that is considered still to be one of the scariest most freakish horror films ever made. It's still brilliant. It's such a great watch. Uh, also made a splash at the Oscars, won, it, won a couple technical awards, and still, it's still great. I can watch it right now and still feel just shivers. It's such a brilliant movie. Uh, you know, some people love Aliens more. I get it. I'm one of those people. But Alien, you know, just as good. The first two films, it's really hard to pick a favorite there. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. And it's a shame Ridley when he came back to the franchise gave us Prometheus and Covenant which are both pretty lackluster. And uh 
I don't know what happened, but he'll always have 79's Alien. Beautiful movie. Yeah, what more could be said, you know? Yeah, no, it's he will always have this film. I mean, it's it's still felt to this day. I mean, look at uh, I played it on my PlayStation. Alien Isolation was taken. I mean, that game was pulling straight from the original Alien, and they give, they gave no shit about the sequels. That movie, that game was fucking terrifying. I I I beat that. It was a it was a satisfying moment to blast that fucker up the airlock. Oh yeah, <laughs> up until like that credit, like the last cutscene shows like those like fucking ten of them, and you're like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great game Ooh, creepy uh no like he talking about like some technical stuff he did like what he did to get this film completed and made it's just sort of fucking amazing um even like little fun nuggets of information like the scene when the chest person comes out and um the one lady screams you know that was a genuine reaction they didn't tell her he didn't tell her what was going on they didn't tell anybody. All of them are watching this unfold. Only one who knew was John Hurt. Everyone else is like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> they'd never seen anything like that before. No one had. This, I mean, yeah. If you don't know anything about Alien and you're watching it for the first time, God, do I envy you. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. great. One of my favorite little tidbits is the fact that like the design for the creature came to H.R. Giger and his fucking nightmares. <laughs> I mean, that's that's awesome. He just imagined this horrific <laughs> shit, wrote it down, and then now it's iconic. Like, the I don't know what his fucking nightmares are like now. Jesus Christ. Um, Any man who could come up with that is haunted, my friend. <laughs> like, haunted by terrors we cannot comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, this is just... It's not just like an iconic film of Ridley Scott's. It's an iconic film of the horror genre. I mean, this, everyone, I mean, you mentioned earlier, everyone's had the debate, Alien or Aliens. Ultimately, look, both. Like, I love both films. I am in the camp that I'm slightly partial to Aliens. I will say it myself. But both. I love both films so much. And this one, God, with he pulled off with it. I mean, like I said, the chest burst you're seeing. Never seen in love is Dallas and the Vince. God, that's a fucking tense scene. And the thing just fucking's there and jumps out. I'm like, oh my God. Like, it's great. It gave us, you know, Sigourney Reaver as like one of horror's most kick ass females. Like, yeah, this film just, it hits the ground running it, and it just doesn't stop. It's a fucking one of the best horror films, one of the best really Scott films he's ever done. Yeah. I mean, I, this was no shock. I remember. I, I think I told this story on the pod, on the film we guys in podcast when we did Alien or Aliens a while back, but I just I love it because it's it's fun and it really shows the fervor of Alien fans. I went to a special screening of Aliens at the Draft House uh, a few years ago, and uh, they had live pyrotechnics, like they had fire shooting out of the screen. It was super unsafe, but awesome. And um, we were there for Aliens, and they started playing Alien, and. I was like, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't right. But then everyone was like, double feature, woo, double feature. Like people were screaming, double feature. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And they got like 15 minutes into Alien before somebody like stopped it and was like, sorry, folks. And we were like, oh, <laughs> we were kind of bummed. We were like, two for the price of one. Come on. We all got free passes for the fuck up. And we were all like, just play Alien. That'll that'll be an apology. <laughs> Just play the first movie, we'll be fine. 
So yeah, that was that that was fun. Look how they're like sorry, it's as if they were starting to play Alien Resurrection. Then they would have had a mob on their hands. Yeah, it's like that's how the reaction was like, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. It's like, no, no, you're playing alien, it's fine. <laughs> like Yeah, nobody was pissed. Like they were pissed when you stopped, but nobody was pissed when the movie started. Everyone was excited. <laughs> oh, so yeah, Alien, Ridley Scott's undisputed masterpiece. Uh he'll never top it. Uh, yeah, no, no. Uh, let's recap. Number five, Connor's favorite film of all time, Blade Runner. Four, The Martian. Three, Black Hawk Down. Two, Gladiator. And one, Alien. And I've got uh, number five, Hannibal. Number four, Black Hawk Down. Number three, Matchstick Men. Number two, Gladiator. And number one, Alien. So there it is. Those are our favorite Ridley Scott movies. Uh, I look forward to doing this with other filmmakers and actors and shit going forward. It's a new era of the sneak preview. I wish we had like some epic music to play right when you say that every time. You're just going to have to imagine it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you like the show's new format. Uh, If you like what we do, feel free to follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or just send send us a message through the socials. Uh, If you want to support the show through Anchor, you can always click on support this podcast on your podcast provider. We appreciate any and all donations, but it is not necessary. We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Next week is pretty light. The only thing really worth discussing is the power of the dog on Netflix. Uh, That's all. (laughs) There's nothing else coming out next week. Which is crazy. It's December. You'd think every weekend had something big, but nope, not this time. Uh, So, you know, we might do something with Westerns. Might do something with Netflix movies. Cumberbatch. I don't know. (laughs) So tune in next week to see what we end up doing. Uh, We'll look around for more films coming out next week that we may have overlooked. But as of now, as far as I know, it's The Power of the Dog, which does look good. Glad that The Power of the Dog looks good. I know. It's I a weird title, to... and it does make me think of Dog the Bounty Hunter. Well, so yeah, I keep wanting to think it's a biography on Dog the Bounty Hunter, which I would totally be in for. I know. it's Yeah, I, I, I hope this title makes sense when I watch the movie. Yeah. I, God, Nicolas Cage as Dog the Bounty Hunter. Yeah, oh, somebody needs to make that. Somebody needs to call him. Call his agent. Suggest that the movie will be out by Christmas. Uh, don't miss Twilight Zone, the movie on Wednesday's Filmgasm and the 1990 Christmas classic Home Alone on Oscar Sunday. Have a great week. Keep watching movies.